Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Project Brief. I'm Delta, and I'm also joined by Jay Ringo. Say hi, Jay Ringo. Hello. The Project Brief is an episode run by me just before the Boink Radio now, and uh, it's where I'll be talking about scientific projects a part of the Boink Network in really simple terms. If you don't know what the Boink Network is, we highly recommend you check out the Boink Radio podcast, where you can learn a whole lot about the Boink Network. Now, we're not trying to explain science in a really complex way here. I'm a science communicator, so I like to explain things simply in the simplest terms so that everyone can understand and feel comfortable listening to this podcast. So today we're going to be talking about Radioactive at Home, and uh, that is a project on Boink which focuses on trying to record different levels of radiation around the world. Radiation? Oh, geez, what's that? <laughs> That's a good question, Jay Ringo, and I'm going to explain it. So, radiation is really a general term. So, I think it's one of the things we should explain before getting into the project. And radiation in itself is a lot of things. Like, you won't be able to see if there's no radiation. A lot of people think that radiation is some really bad thing which causes cancer and stuff like that. But radiation is all around us. Sitting in your room, if you're just sitting in your house or something like that, you've got radio waves coming from routers. You've got radio waves coming from Wi-Fi. Your TV emits radio waves. Um, the light in your room emits, emits radiation. Everything around you pretty much is emitting radiation and you're being exposed to it all the time. The only difference we have between dangerous radiation and normal radiation is what's called ionization. And that's when the radiation can take electrons out of atoms. And that's the key thing. And so there are three main types of ionizing radiation that we refer to in nuclear physics. And that's alpha, beta, and gamma radiation. So uh, there are other forms of ionizing radiation, such as UV rays from the sun. But in terms of radioactive at home, we're only going to focus on the nuclear physics ones. So starting off with alpha radiation, uh, essentially what this is, is it's a helium atom. So if you know helium, usually it's in balloons, it makes them float. And when you breathe it in, it makes your voice sound funny. All right. Well, this stuff isn't stuff that you're going to want to breathe in because it, these helium atoms don't have any electrons, which means they're highly ionizing. And so when they get exposed to a particular substance or, or anything, really, they'll react really dangerously with them, especially with human, uh, with, with biological matter. And when the helium interacts and essentially with all these ionizing radiation, when they interact with your with your um, cells in your body, they can damage the DNA, which can cause essentially cancer. Now, these alpha radiation, as we call alpha particles, uh, they aren't very penetrating. They, they can be stopped by a sheet of paper because they're so big, but you really don't want to inhale them. And uh, they are very dangerous, but you can protect yourself using a face mask and long clothing. Uh, generally, but don't take any of these um, protection precautions with um, with any certainty because I'm not a nuclear physicist, but these are the main protection things that um, I've researched that do essentially block only alpha particles. I'm taking your advice and walking straight into a nuclear reactor, and if I get damaged, <laughs> it's your fault. I've got to act. <laughs> hey, hey. Being inside of a nuclear reactor is fine. Like, I've I've walked through one um, out in uh, Lucas Heights out here in Australia. You, the only what? place you need a um, the only place you need any protective equipment is when you're looking when they pull out the core of the reactor. And even then, it's all done by computers, so they they don't they don't really need any people in there to move anything. Wow, that's really cool. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. We we're still going. Um, so, yeah, with alpha radiation, you can pretty much protect yourself with a face mask and long clothing, pretty much, because if it gets on your skin, it's not that bad. But if you inhale it, it's, it's really bad. 
Now, as for beta radiation, beta radiation is essentially electrons, but it's a little bit more than that. Beta radiation occurs when a neutron in an atom, so if you went to high school, a neutron is one of the core components of an atom. A neutron can spontaneously become a proton, but in doing so, it has to release some energy, of course, and the neutron releases an electron, and it also releases what's called an antineutrino. Right? Now, I'm being pretty general here because there are two types of beta radiation, but essentially, the reason why it emits an electron is because it has to become a proton, which means it has to give up some negative charge to become positive. And the reason why it emits an antineutrino is simply because when it releases that electron, scientists have figured out that there's a tiny little bit of mass that's missing. And because of conservation of mass, we've managed to figure out that this extra particle that comes off of it is actually an antineutrino. Neutrinos are really super small. They don't really interact with much. Um, and you need a huge, like, 500 meter by 500 meter tank of uh, what's called heavy water in order to even see them. Because it is, they are so weak and they're so massless that it's really hard to detect. Now, with uh, electrons, uh, you're going to need a little bit more um, protection. They are stopped by um, a sheet of foil, uh, but uh, they can get through some things. And the recommended uh, protections are a respirator with hazmat equipment. And so if you have that, you're pretty much fine from beta radiation. Um, they are not as dangerous as alpha radiation, but they do cause damage. They can knock other electrons out. They can cause other ionization processes to happen. Now, the ones you've probably heard and may or may not turn you into the Hulk is gamma radiation. Gamma, so gamma radiation... Gamma, gamma. Yep. Gamma radiation is um, a lot like the light that enters your eyes and allows you to see. Um, the only thing is, it's about 10,000 times as powerful. So uh, being so powerful, it can actually knock electrons out of atoms and cause ionization, which, as, as I said before, can cause cancers and damage to DNA. Now, it is very dangerous only if exposed in the long term. An interesting fact is that with humans and how their DNA is structured and how their cells are made and all that, a very short burst of gamma rays usually doesn't do any damage. The cells and the DNA are quite resilient to very short bursts of radiation. However, when you're exposed to gamma radiation in the long term, it is highly dangerous. Um, now, in order to be protected from this sort of stuff, you need lead suits or really, really thick concrete bunkers because gamma rays penetrate a lot. And um, that brings us to what Radioactive at Home actually does. So Radioactive at Home is an interesting Boink project in the sense that it doesn't actually do any computations. Rather, it just collects data. And so in order to participate in this project, you're going to have to buy yourself a Geiger counter, a specific one that um, Radioactive at Home supplies. Every now and then they get an extra little bit of supply, and then you can go on the forums and say, yep, I want to reserve a spot to buy one, and then they'll manufacture them and hand them out. Now, let's explain what a Geiger counter is. So a Geiger counter is essentially an instrument that measures radiation. And the way it does it is it measures, uh, first of all, it only measures ionizing radiation. But the way it does it is it has a little chamber inside of it which has, um, which has particles in them. And when the particles get ionized, so when the radiation comes in and knocks an electron out or when um, an electron gets zapped from one of them, you get a, a new charge that's in that chamber. And, and essentially that charge will move to the wall of the chamber and cause a current to occur. 
And so just like how you have a current flowing through your phone to make your phone work, a current will flow through the Geiger counter and cause a little beep to happen. And so we're lucky to have Jay Ringo on the soundboard giving us the sound <laughs> of a Geiger counter. And here it is. And so, yeah, it's a great, it's a great little, it's a fun little sound. But when you're doing that on your computer, it's not going to make that sound um, because essentially they, all they want is just the data. They don't want the sound. Um, but other Geiger counters do have the sound, which is usually what you see with people go, running into Chernobyl or something like that and carrying their Geiger counters. They have all the beeping going on. But anyway, let's focus more on radioactive at home. And essentially, you might be asking, what do they do with this data? So. Um, on their website, they actually have a live map of different places and how radioactive they are, essentially. Um, looking at the map right now, there's a lot of detectors in Europe, um, probably just because there's a lot of point users in Europe. There's also a few in America and actually about three in Australia and uh, a couple in Japan and South Korea and that. And uh, on the map, they also list all the nuclear power stations because one interesting thing about radiation is... What if your home is right next to a nuclear power station? Would you get radiation poisoning or something from there? And that's a good question. And that's essentially what Radioactive at Home is trying to answer. And they're trying to monitor that. And so far, the answer is no. It's completely safe to live next to a nuclear power station. And uh, the brilliance of this is that governments don't need to invest money in order to put up sophisticated, expensive instruments to measure radiation everywhere. Uh, we can now have participants all around the world collecting all this data at once and producing a global aggregated map of all this data. Now, is this data actually being used anywhere at the moment? Who knows, but it could be used in the future. And that's that's the brilliant thing about Boink Project is that even though you might be doing something that seems a little bit useless right now, in the future, someone might pick it up and say, hey, I'm going to use it for this. And so this brings us to the end of the Project Brief episode. And uh, as usual, if you don't have a uh, computer and can't run Boink or maybe your computer's just not powerful enough, you can always contribute to Zooniverse.org, uh, which is another volunteer science um, website. So Zooniverse.org, it's a place where you can use your brain power instead of your computer power to, com to complete science puzzles and help out real scientists with real, real data and real um, experiments. And that brings us to our questions. Are there any questions? I'll jump in. Uh, so you talked about the three different types of radiation. These are all the ones that come from uh, nuclear uh, reactors, right? Uh, yes, but also from radioactive isotopes. And just to quickly explain, a radioactive isotope is an atom of a particular, any type of atom or element. And it's where it's called, it's unstable, which means it has energy it wants to get rid of, or it has energy that it needs. And then it gives off some sort of radiation to get rid of that essentially. Okay. So when we hear about like Fukushima or something like that, some big disaster, where the water has become radioactive. Like, what, what does that mean? Okay, so that, that's a good question. Uh, it's not just the water that also becomes radioactive, but it's also the topsoil. And um, essentially what they mean by that is the topsoil and the water are contaminated with isotopes, not actual radiation. They're contaminated with isotopes. And the really nasty thing about the uranium that's used in reactors is that they are slow to decay which means that they linger there for a while and expose you to long-term radiation. And um, the problem with that is 
it gets stuck in the soil and you have to like pick up the soil and you have to dispose of it and or clean it. Um, I remember seeing in the documentary about um, Fukushima uh, and they were like putting all the topsoil in like huge bags and they had to move like hundreds of thousands of bags of topsoil out to like some facility to get cleaned and if it gets in the water it's really really hard to control because um the uranium is not like oil it doesn't sit at the top of the water it can seep into it it can move around and everything like that and uh, i hope that answers the question they're uranium isotopes that are like in the soil and in the water at that point yeah yeah so it's the uranium has managed to find itself its way into the soil and the water essentially because there was a huge explosion and that explosion sent all the materials out everywhere nasty nasty there's also another question in the chat uh should the sensors be placed indoors or outdoors um the goal of this project is to actually measure whether radiation is having an impact on people's lives so um and yeah, as Barton says, they're not weatherproof. So yeah, probably keep them indoors. And it's meant to take a view on if radiation is affecting your daily life. So having them indoors is probably a much better um, view of that rather than um, rather than putting them outdoors. We also have another question. What is Craig? Craig is the man <laughs> that comes on and listens to us and records what we're doing. Uh, is, is this the only sensor project running right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, whether it's actually it doing is. anything, it probably is the only sensor project that is doing something. But there is another sensor project uh, called uh, what was it? Quake Catcher at Home, I think it is, or Quake Catcher. And that one is technically still running, but it's not doing anything. It's where it uses accelerometers to figure out whether there's an earthquake or something, or, or just to measure um, different types of um, seismic activity. That's the word. Yeah, so they call these, I'm on the Boink page right now, the project page. They call uh, these two projects, and they are the only two, but they call them distributed sensing. That's just, that's so neat. Like, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, where you imagine doing this for weather modeling or climate modeling or yeah. just prediction. Like, the things you could do with distributed sensing are wild. Yeah, like, for example, in Australia, we have what's called the Bureau of Meteorology, and they have sensors um, put all around Australia. Now, the great thing is the government funds them and puts sensors up everywhere so that we can have a good idea of what our weather looks like. Now, the only issue is because we have that now, there really is no reason to having, for example, distributed uh, weather sensors all around the world. Now, um, the great thing, uh, a good point about distribu- distribution is um, one of you, someone in the chat might be thinking, what if someone fakes the data? And that's a good question. Now, first of all, scientists are good at picking out data points that are pretty bad. But also, secondly, the more distribution you have, so the more sensors and the more nodes and stuff that you have, the more of a good picture that you get. So essentially, the resolution becomes higher and the data quality becomes higher because instead of having to rely on one sensor in one location, you can rely on multiple sensors in one location to get a better picture of what it looks like and take the average of that or something like that. Yeah, and before you answer Quinn's sub- or question, because that's a good question on a different topic, um, with the weather data, yeah, we have these these central entities that will maintain a large network of of sensors. But what happens if something happens to those that entity, or if they get their funding cut, or if their sensors go down across the board? Or in the U.S., there's actually a big uh, I don't know if it's a problem yet, but the the entity that collects the weather then sells it, but also like opens, open data is it, but it's there's something have, going on having to do with they want to make it private or someone wants that data to be private so they can profit off of it. At which point, if the one 
entity that collects all the weather data makes that data private, they get to control who tells the weather. And it's just like that that should be a public data point, right? Yeah, it's the weather that, that we all is, live that's on. a good point. The great thing about Boink projects and especially sensor projects like this is that the data is mostly open. So um, it's it's a really great thing to have. And uh, I just noticed another question real quick. How much does it cost to get a sensor? I think the last time I checked, I think it was around 50 US dollars, if I'm not mistaken. But um, as Button said, um, they're only available for shipping to Europe. And if you want to get them into the... Um, to the US, they're going to have to go through customs and whatever. So that's probably why there's not a lot of sensors in the US and there's a lot in Europe. Um, and yeah, they're on back order. So there's, there's a lot of demand. Do you have to use a specific them. counter? Can you get your own Geiger um, counter, like an off-brand? I think there might be an option to use one. I haven't delved deep into the, into the forums, but from what I saw, it's probably best to get the regular Geiger counter that they supply. You should maybe reach out to these guys, see if they want to come on and talk about their, their project a little bit. So yeah, that uh, concludes the project brief. Uh, you can join me next fortnight for another project brief where we're going to talk about a different Boink project. I'm thinking of talking about Athena, a new Boink project that's come around that's going to focus on mapping the internet. So join me for that next episode, and I hope to see you then. Make sure you bring some questions because it's great to have a little bit of discussion. See you later.